0: step into the world of advertising with FjordCast, predicting the most important trends in the advertising industry. Host Tim Barsness dishes on the latest developments within the advertising realm. Tune into the FjordCast to receive insider tips and advice from experts within the advertising industry. FjordCast is your first stop in hearing about the unique opportunities and challenges advertisers face today. Cranberry Radio is proud to present FjordCast with your host Tim Barsness,
1: thanks for joining us on the Fjordcast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of Web and Mobile Development Team Fjord, and today on our show, we we will be talking with Kyle Munson and Michael McCloskey about their marketing communications agency, CodeWord. Welcome to the show, Kyle and Michael.
2: Thanks so
3: much. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Can Can you guys tell us a little bit, bit about your agency?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, CodeBird is an agency. It's about uh, six years old now. And we combine both PR programs as well as content programs. uh, So, uh, you know, earned media as well as owned media for a variety of clients from small startups just getting off the ground to, you know, big, huge companies like Google and uh, YouTube and News Corporation and stuff like that and everything in between.
1: How did you get to where you are today?
3: You know, it's an interesting question. I guess, uh, you know, I was always kind of interested in marketing and, uh, you know, coming out of college, just looked for, you know, something unique uh, that ultimately led me to New York. And I kind of started working in ad agencies. And uh, before I knew it, uh, you know, I was, I was helping to run the, the New York office of Code Word. you know, so it's always been fast paced and creative environment. Uh, that's always really appealed to me. What about you, Kyle?
2: I'm kind of the opposite. I I, I came out of a tech journalism background. I was a tech journalist for a long time. And I kind of looked at ads as, as kind of bullshit, you know, not a big fan of marketing and and PR and and kind of the things that I was exposed to as a journalist. And so um, there was in back in 2009, there was kind of this, this brand journalism movement. Um, This was before like native advertising became sort of a big thing. And You know, I got a call from a big ad agency, JWT, and they said, hey, you know, we're working on a big ad campaign for Microsoft, but we want it to be a little different than an ad campaign. Do you want to come be the editor? And it sounded like a really great opportunity. So, um, you know, that's how I got into marketing. And we've tried to extend those philosophies into our work here at CodeWord of, you know, transparent, transparent messaging, you know, resisting kind of some of the trends in, in typical marketing channels and do things a little bit differently here.
1: When you say resisting some of the trends, what do you mean by that?
3: Well, I think it's it's really you know um, the way now people are trying to avoid advertising. You know, they're, they're savvy. They're trying to find ways around it. They're putting in ad blockers. Yeah. They're they're you know. Uh, I guess the big one is like, um,
2: you know, you can pay for attention and eyeballs, and I think. I think you know we we all probably agree that that's sort of the driving force of the ad industry is how do you get the most eyeballs on this thing that you made for the brand. Our take on this is you can pay for that. Um, what you can't pay for is is love and trust, right? And to get someone to trust a brand is a much harder job, but it should be intrinsic to the work that we do.
3: Yeah, you know, and I again I think that the broadcast channels are having a harder time of of creating that trust today. Um, the consumers are savvier, they're they're being able to choose the media that they consume when, where, and how, and and now it's up to brands to be kind of telling the kinds of stories and, and communicating the kinds of things that people might actually want to spend their time with, um, which is a shift.
1: Got it. Do you guys both work out of the New York office?
3: Yeah, we're both here in New York, um, but CodeWord also has offices in San Francisco and Salt Lake City.
1: Very cool. Um, what was the point in which you you branched out into additional
3: offices? Well, we actually opened in San Francisco. Mike Barish, our partner there, uh, kicked things off. You know, primarily working with startups. And and really, when we started the agency, that was one of our main goals: is to work with startups rather than big brands. But um, here in New York, you know, again, we we met a lot of bigger brands with an appetite for you know making branded content that people you know, would want to consume. And, and before you knew it, you know, we had that, that range, that mix between the smaller companies and the, and the bigger companies. So New York was second. And then Salt Lake is our newest office. And you know, we really just found that there was you know, a growing tech uh, community there and an entrepreneurial community that works really well for the kinds of areas that we like to work in.
1: Do you find that the offices um, collaborate together a lot or are they working pretty independently?
2: A little bit of both. I mean, yeah. you know, it, that's kind of the question for every agency network is how smoothly do the offices work together. And, you know, it's a struggle for all of us, I think. In some ways, in some ways we do. We try to have a unified, you know, process set of working, you know, standards that are the same across offices. So it doesn't matter which code word office you're working with. But honestly, after after a few years of trying to get us to have the same culture across offices, I think we've just kind of decided that the markets that we're working in are different enough that we would rather have the office align with the market than align with the company. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. Um,
2: It doesn't make sense for the San Francisco Office of Code to act like a New York agency because they're not in New York and client expectations are very different across the different cities that we're in. They really are. And just sort of, you know, the industry that we're working in and the contacts that we have, they just value different things in the different cities we're in. So we've decided to lean into that instead of to have like, you know, a single Codeword culture across everything. Absolutely. Uh, It took us a while to get there, but that's kind of the lesson that we've been learning.
3: Yeah, one culture with different facets. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Do you you guys find yourself going to San
1: Francisco or Salt Lake very often?
3: Yeah, I think the four partners, there's four partners here in Codeword. And we, you know, we all try to visit each office on uh, at least once a quarter, you know, not only to keep the four of us connected, but also, you know, to keep all our teams, you know, kind of informed and aware of there are four of us and we're all we're all pretty unique. And I think that works in our benefit. And we want to help, you know, show our teams and our clients that that, you know, we four are connected and, and we all bring different skills to the table that that are to the benefit of the agency and, and, our, and the companies we work with. And I got to go visit
2: my parents because I'm from San Francisco. <laughs> so they, they demand that I come at least once in a while. There you Have go. Have you been to Salt Lake City recently? I haven't. It's been a while the The tech and startup scene there is really interesting right now. it's It's a really vibrant community. That's cool. Um,
1: so were these offices, these additional offices opened through acquisition or um, kind of no. built from the ground up?
2: Yeah, just built from the ground up. You know we we've uh, we had a partner that that grew up in Salt Lake and always wanted to live there. And we took a tour and talked to some of the venture capitalists and some of the entrepreneurs there. and you know, kind of sussed out the market before deciding to move there, and so he heads up that office. And then, of course, San Francisco and New York are just their natural hubs of of marketing and and tech entrepreneurs. So, just made sense to be there. Absolutely. I'd be curious. What's one of the coolest things that CodeWord has
1: done?
3: Oh man, there's a lot of things. You know, I I really uh, a couple of years back we put together this really. Awesome summer camp for makers oh, in yeah. conjunction with Google. It was called Maker Camp. So it was Google and Make Magazine, where for a summer, you know, we came up with just uh, weekly themes and daily projects where maker spaces uh, around the world uh, got together and you know made cool things and excel- uh, celebrated making things and and you know spending your summer doing something really productive rather than just kind of sitting around, um, you know, absorbed by your device. Uh, So it was a really interesting and exciting program. Um, You know, it was kind of built to support Google Plus a few years back, which, you know, they're not, you know, investing as much in today, Um, but really like a a fun and interesting program we were able to do. Yeah, we were kind of tricking
2: kids into learning science on their summer vacation um, by providing all these daily projects. And then we were, um, I think we were one of the first programs to kind of hack the the Google Hangouts technology and use it almost as kind of a TriCaster for broadcasting where, you know, we figured out if we could, if we could publish these Hangouts, we could use them as kind of, uh, field trips or virtual tours for the kids. So we, we did these, these Hangouts on air from like NASA and Pixar and, you know, the Disney Imagineering studio and the White House garden and all these different places, um, did you so, record you know, them? In one sense, it was a marketing campaign, but in another sense, you know, we made a lot of people happy and I think taught some kids some interesting new skills and things like that. I think one of the more interesting programs that we've done, it was kind of an online summer camp called Makers for kind of the maker and DIY people and especially geared towards kids. Uh, this was a partnership with Google and with Make Magazine. Uh, and for three summers, we ran this online summer camp. It was free. It was open to everybody. And basically what we were doing here was we were publishing DIY projects every day that kids could build at home, um, either with their friends or with their parents or by themselves. Uh, So we'd post a project every morning. And then every afternoon we would do a virtual hangout, a video broadcast uh, from somewhere really cool that kids don't often get access to. Like we went to um, the Pixar sculpting studio. We went to NASA and Disney Imagineers and, you know, Minecraft and Cartoon Network, just all these different places. We um, Went to the White House Garden and it was really fun. It, it, it was in some senses a marketing campaign for Google+, but, you know, the content was really valuable. The kids loved it. We got tons of influencer engagement and press pickup for this thing. Uh, like Michelle Obama was retweeting us and things like that. So it didn't function like an ad and marketing campaign. And that's, that's really what we're trying to do as CodeWord is provide something of value. So how did that work? You guys rec-
1: you were uh, recording the Hangouts and then kind of replaying them. Is that right?
2: No, we did it all live. It was it was a live production. So we were kind of using Hangouts as almost like a TriCaster. Sure. You know, the broadcasting equipment. Yeah.
1: Got it. Very cool. Um, so it turned into kind of like a, a webinar type thing then?
2: Sort of. I guess that's like the most boring way you can describe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was more like, you know, yes, it was that. It was a virtual tour. You know, when we went to Pixar, for instance, we were talking to the sculpting studio where they've got artists and sculptors who do the really early round alpha versions of these characters that would eventually become animated. And so these are actual artists dealing with clay and different materials. And we were just talking to them about how they got into the space, show us around your workshop, um, what are the materials that you're using? How did you create, you know, the characters from Monsters, Inc. and things like that? When we went to Cartoon Network, you know, the process for creating an episode of uh, Adventure Time and how they do the voices and the voiceovers and things like that. That
1: sounds like an awesome campaign. We need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll hear a little bit from Kyle and Michael about how they do their work so successfully.
0: Don't go away. GeorgeCast with Tim Barsness will be right back after a word from our sponsor.
4: Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Browse through our complete library of programs at cranberry.fm or on demand through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Google Play. Don't worry, you can still access all of our great webmasterradio.fm programs at cranberry.fm. Refresh your bookmarks today to cranberryradio at cranberry.fm.
0: Content for your ears. And everything in between. Cranberry.fm Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with cast Only on Cranberry Radio.
1: Welcome back to cast I'm your host, Tim Barsness, and we are here with Kyle and Michael of Marketing Communications Agency, CodeWord. Um, can, can you guys give us a little... Pointer or two about how you do your work so successfully?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, overall, uh, you know, for us, it it really becomes, and, and this won't be a new idea, I don't think, but, you know, we we really emphasize putting the audience first. You know, I think we, we talked a little bit earlier in the podcast about, you know, how the nature of media is becoming more on demand and people are able to, you know, choose the things that they're consuming. And so putting the audience first becomes kind of... Uh, the cornerstone of anything we do. Like, what is what is this audience really going to find interesting about what your company has to say? And, and, and how can we find the right ways to be genuine with them about our own interest in the things that they find interesting, I think, really helps us to, to lay a foundation for making good work and telling good stories on an ongoing basis that aren't so self-serving. I mean, for me personally, I, I, I come from an account management background. And so, you know, for, for me, I I think, you know, that's where, you know, owning the details and uh, really understanding, uh, you know, what you're doing and making kind of as an old boss of mine described the plumbing and electricity invisible um, is, is the, from an account management perspective, I don't know, Kyle, from a creativity standpoint, what inspires you?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's of a piece with what you just said, really digging into the audience and the community we're trying to talk to, um, you know, who are kind of the weird people in the audience set, the weird, obsessive, passionate people, whatever they care about is probably gonna at least somewhat resonate with the broader community. Um, and those people, you know, they live on Reddit, they live on Twitter, they're in the discussion boards of the strange little sites in the corners of the internet and, so as we're working with clients and trying to figure out how they're going to connect with the community, those are the insights that we're looking for. Um, they're usually not. That's usually not information that the client gives us in the brief. It's usually stuff we have to go find on our own.
1: Sure. So you're, you're looking for what you might call the, the early adopter in an audience and then totally. kind of trying to understand their, their mentality, what interests them. And um, I guess the idea is that it would resonate with the rest of the audience as well?
2: Yeah, and even just the smartest people in the audience. You know, marketing to the smartest people in the audience, I think, has a lot of benefits. Uh, For one thing, it forces us as an agency to talk up to our audience instead of talking down to them. Um, Recognizing that the audience is actually passionate about things. We just need to figure out what they're passionate about and how to tap into that. Um, I think that's that's something that I don't think we're very good at as a marketing industry. We're really trying to push for here at CodeWord. Absolutely.
1: What are uh, some of the missed opportunities in the content world?
2: I think it's in the content world, I think part of the missed opportunities are, um, I don't know, they, they treat it like content is is cheap and easy. You know, they 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 want a content program because they think of it as like a really easy way to make a lot of stuff. And in some cases, that's true. But in most cases, content, you know, it takes time. It takes investment to do it right. Um, it's certainly cheaper than doing a big TV campaign in most cases. Uh, but it's also in a lot of cases, a lot more effort. You're gonna have to work pretty hard to get the program to succeed. And you're gonna have to spend your money smarter too. Um, that's that's at least where I see where I see it,
3: yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's really about you know figuring out what what you're you know kind of giving your channels specific jobs and tasks to fulfill uh, all the way through to you know, purchase. I, I think some some marketers just think about the end goal um, and not necessarily the, the steps to get there.
2: Or in the PR case, they're only focused on the top of the funnel and not about, you know, it's all just awareness, 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 um, with yeah. little thought to what happens once they find out about the company, how do we get them into a into a sales funnel or a, mm-hmm. a purchase journey or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yep.
1: You were comparing content development to a big media campaign with, Media campaigns, we have kind of established metrics for what the value of the campaign is. How are you guys valuing or measuring ROI on a content campaign?
2: Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> um, I think where clients have the appetite for it, we certainly prefer to look at brand lift, uh, do brand lift studies and surveys. I think that's, I, you know, for me personally, I think that's the main uh, the main roi of a good content campaign is that it shifts how you're going to think of a brand and how you want to engage with them most clients that i've seen and i think most industry don't have an appetite to spend a lot on brand lift surveys so we end up you know trying to figure out what the good proxies are and that usually ends up being some mix of web metrics um like time spent on page or inbound inbound clicks or referral traffic um you know search engine traffic and and seo ranking Uh, And then social metrics like engagement, you know, views, likes, shares, all that stuff. We call that fast data because you can get it right away. Um, You know, it's typically available in real time and you can respond to it in real time. Uh, But I think if we're really going to measure ROI, you know, on a big picture basis, we should be looking at slow data, which is we have to do a study or a survey to really get at.
3: Yeah, I mean there there's there's proxies that you can use for awareness and perception, but you know, short of really kind of asking the community if they know about you and what they think about you, it's it's really hard to say with certainty, yeah, this thing getting a hundred shares means that I've shifted perception. You know, it, it's yeah. it doesn't it it's not necessarily a, a great proxy for that. But again, it it requires some investment to measure that well. But I, I do think it's worth it if the brands can find the budgets, because it, it really makes you smarter.
2: And it justifies our, our billing better.
1: <laughs> so it sounds to me like on on larger campaigns, you can maybe go into more depth, but on uh, smaller campaigns, you have to kind of go with the numbers, The what you were calling fast data that, that you can get right away and then assert what the value to that might be.
2: That's right. And I mean... Even so, th- there is a bit of a spectrum. I mean, measuring our content and social campaigns is a lot easier still. Even though I don't think it's perfect and we're not always measuring what we really think we should be valuing, that it's still a lot better than you know measuring something like a PR or awareness campaign. That stuff's really hard to measure because you know a lot of the metrics and a lot of the data live with the publishers um, and the media who are helping spread the word through own media. And we don't have access to a lot of that stuff in most cases. Right, uh, you're an account guy. Um, what's the
1: most important attribute uh, to successful client agency relationships?
3: Yeah, I think the big one really is trust. Um, you know, I, I think there there has to be a trust for anything to be able to work, um, and that trust really is built. You know, by being transparent. You know, by delivering on you know what you say you're going to deliver on it, and it builds over time. You know, but without it, I think. You know your agency quickly turns into just taking your orders they, they won't give you candid advice they won't give you their real point of view they won't push back when they think you're making a mistake and you know i think brands need that you know it's why agencies exist not only to you know fulfill tasks but to you know share their expertise and their experience but without that trust it's really hard to do that um you know that that's i i think one of the keys to, to ability to kind of have that trust even more than an affection or you know like a great rapport you know have you know you can have two groups who are just different but still trust each other to to do what needs to happen to be effective
1: how do you avoid not falling into that kind of trap where you're not free to say what what really needs to be said
3: yeah, I mean, I think it it really starts with the the leadership teams, you know, really aligning on where what their priorities are, um, and uh, and making sure that that they're they're disseminating to their teams that you know w- what the expectations should be. So, you know, for the CMO to let their brand managers know they shouldn't expect for the agency to just simply take their orders and never question anything, and. Um, at the same time for the agency leadership to turn to the the creative teams and the strategists and say, don't just take their orders, you know, find a smart way to articulate our point of view that we're right. Um, You know, so I, I think that it really starts with, you know, a strong relationship among the leadership teams. And then again, if you find yourself getting into that, there's little little things that, you know, you can do like, Finding ways to get together in person make a huge difference. Okay. Um, you know, there's we have a lot of clients who are not in the same city as we are, but we really prioritize, you know, at least you know once once a quarter um, or once a month being face to face. And you know, like the the technologies out there make it easy to for people to connect, but I don't think there's any substitute for you know spending time together in a room. Grabbing a meal together, you know, grabbing a coffee together. There's, there's just uh, a human connection there that that is, I think, required,
1: really. Sure, absolutely. Um, if if you guys were a small brand, what would you do, uh, right now or short term, to make a big impact?
3: Yeah, you know, I think I think really the I think it's it's really a, a segmentation of the audience where I could start with something manageable. I feel like some small companies will go out and they'll want to reach a broad group of consumers, and that's really difficult. And I think you know, finding the audience that's going to be most enthusiastic about your company and what you're doing and, and finding ways to speak and work directly with them would be where I would begin. Uh, really finding something, you know, a unique subset of the overall audience I'm trying to reach where I can more effectively get in there and get some wins, and get some, some, and build my reputation.
1: Absolutely. We need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll cover the news a little bit.
3: Don't go away. George Cast
0: with Tim Barsness will be right back after a word from our sponsors.
4: Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit Fjorgedigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's fjorge Digital. Let Cranberry Radio lighten your load. Just hand us that burdensome dinero and we'll get you set up with your very own radio show. We produce, edit, and amplify the show. All you have to do is show up. It's time for you to make an impact. We're glad to help. Just hand over the cash. Space is limited. So contact us now at sales at cranberry.fm.
0: A more refreshing kind of talk radio. Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with George Cast, Only on Cranberry Radio. Our
1: first story today is from Ad Age titled, Consumers Get More Fickle Despite Billions Spent on Loyalty. The article touches wow. on how loyalty programs are losing effectiveness, especially with millennials you guys have any thoughts on how to do loyalty programs successfully?
2: <laughs> I mean, yes, kind of. It, it seems like it's all about how do you kind of gamify the experience and, and turn it into an achievement thing. Um, you know, we're all kind of, we all like to fill up that little progress bar. Like on your LinkedIn profile, where it's like always 90% full, um, you kind of always have this like inner... Not rage, but frustration that you can never quite get that 100% full. And I think you can tap into that with a loyalty program too. Um, you know, provide a little bit of a mission, provide something for people to reach for, and then watch as they fail to do it in the LinkedIn profile case.
1: Absolutely. Um, I don't know <laughs> if, if you guys uh, know of the Chipotle Chiptopia campaign, uh, but Chipotle is a really big part of my life. It's one of the core values at our company. <laughs> uh, and The minute I heard about the Chiptopia campaign, I knew that it was for me. Um, So the idea was to buy 10 burritos a month for three months and earn a a free catering event. Um, But I think what I saw out of that campaign was longer lines for three months and pretty much nothing after that. I don't know if you guys noticed that at all. The campaign ran last summer.
2: No, I I try to resist the gamification of my fat intake just because I'm
3: pretty good at that on my own.
2: What were you gonna say, Michael? Yeah, yeah. well,
3: I think it's tough too when you know there's a time horizon on it. It just (laughs) it feels much more like a discount, you know, a discounting program than. You know, a true long-term loyalty program, so you know I think your experience is probably you don't feel as good about it because you know these long lines are just going to be during this time where you've got some some bandwagon you know Chipotle fans, not like the real hardcore folks like you
1: absolutely it's It's almost like they were trying to recreate the habit of going there you know once or twice a week. I don't know if you could do that in a three month span.
2: It looks like it paid off though, right? Did you get the did you did you do the you're supposed to order 11 entrees a month, right? Or something Absolutely, like that?
1: Absolutely. Yep. Yep.
2: Did you did you do it?
1: I totally did it. I think there's a good chance I would have done it anyway, but I definitely did it.
2: <laughs> so, so you what have to you get what was the payout for that? You get uh 3 free
1: burritos a month which can be included in the 11 and you get um Chipotle catering for 20. So my my wife's headed out of town next week, and I'm planning to um, order the catering for a couple friends um, and hopefully eat the rest of the leftovers the, the rest of the time my wife's out of town.
2: So can I recommend the crispy tacos there are very underrated. Everyone goes for the burritos, but man, those three crispy tacos are great. Do you
1: feel like you get enough
2: food? Um, I feel like I, yes. Even when I get a burrito there, I'm like, why don't you make me a small burrito? <laughs> Got it. Um.
1: So... Are there any other loyalty programs that you guys are aware of where you think they're doing it right?
2: Um, A little. I mean, I'm all in on Delta, Mm. on Delta's loyalty program. Like, I've got the Amex card. I check my Delta points all the time. I really, like, take a lot of pride in my status. And, you know, I like to kind of lord it over the unwashed masses in the terminal before (laughs) I board. Get a yeah. little swagger in my step in the airport as I walk into the
3: Delta Sky Lounge. Yeah, what's weird about the the Delta one is is because you know again if you if you don't have any status, they treat you so badly. Oh yeah, that the status. That's every airline. Becomes, oh, that's not just Delta. Well, right, but the status becomes so much more important. It really drives you to choose Delta. Yeah, because you gotta get there.
2: Well, I flew to Beijing last week, and you know it's it's like a 17-hour trip or something. And which is normally, you know, I'm like six foot three. Like seventeen hours on an airplane is not a pleasant experience for me. But the points really do make a difference. They give you this warm feeling in your heart. And every time you're like, "Ugh, this flight is so long, you're just like, yeah, But the points, though, the rewards are real.
3: <laughs> I mean the upgrades, the the priority boarding, uh, the free flights? I don't check a lot of luggage, but I bet for people who do, you know, the check
1: luggage. The special rug you get to walk on when you board the yeah. plane? Oh, man,
3: that red rug they just it <laughs> up for you? Right. They put the little rope up between, like, oh, now this is the general boarding. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, do you it. think that the airlines are, are
1: treating people who don't have uh, status poorly on purpose, or do you think they're just kind of
2: I, good I don't at
3: know, it? It, it, just, really? it does seem like they've created a class system there that you really want
2: to be in. I think maybe they're just jerks naturally. And oh. yet they're they've just been told not to be jerks to this small subset of people. They have a hard job. They do. I, sure. I'm sure. Oh yeah. But yeah,
3: I think they <laughs> they they value well and I think they recognize in their industry if you're a price sensitive buyer, you know, you're gonna jump around to a bunch of different airlines. So the best way to create preference is to, you know, make make a real material difference in you know becoming somebody who's loyal. What about you, Tim?
2: A hot tip for us? What's the loyalty program we should be joining? Oh
1: God! Well, I mean, if Chiptopia were still going on, I'd, I'd campaign for that one. Other than that, I try and keep cards out of my wallet, so I'm you know, I, I don't do <laughs> much else of
3: it. The Subway Sub Club, which I don't think exists <laughs> anymore. Those With stamps, the stamps. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That was a good one. Two yeah, stamps for a foot long. Brilliant. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We need to wrap the Fjorgecast. Uh That's it for today. Listeners can reach Kyle and Michael's agency at codewordagency.com. You can also reach Kyle on Twitter at K Munson and Michael on Twitter at McCloskey. Thank you for joining us on cast. You can download episodes of the program by going to cranberry.fm, subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and soon on iHeartRadio. Thanks for being on the show, guys.
3: Our pleasure. Thanks, Tim.